Good morning and welcome, Jack and team. Thank you so much for leading us in worship today. My name is Joe Creech, and I am one of the pastors here. I bring you very warm greetings from Pastor Tyler this morning. He is home after four days in the hospital from COVID. He's recovering his strength, um, but it's going um, somewhat slowly. He wants to be here with you. Rachel and family are doing fine, and they send their warmest greetings and love to you, their deep appreciation for your prayers and your care for them. Tyler is super excited about getting back in the pulpit in two weeks, September 12th, and he wants you to know that that will be a very, very important Sunday for Orangewood, as we will be sharing our vision in the life of the church and as we move forward. Come and invite a friend. You know, the main reason someone comes to church is because someone invites them. So we want to encourage you with that. Tyler invites you to be here with us, and we'll be laying the foundation for the new series, We Are Orangewood. So we look forward to that. Let me open us this morning in prayer. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come this morning and we praise you for your care for us day by day. It seems that life is moving so fast. It seems that the burdens are so heavy. And it seems that some of the issues are just so complicated. We come this morning and we ask that you as the great physician would continue to bring healing to Pastor Tyler and to so many others who are struggling in our midst with different health issues. We do pray this morning for our friends in the path of the hurricane. Have mercy there. And Father, we pray for our servicemen and women in harm's way right now and ask for your grace and presence there. Father, may each person know your peace and your presence and your power today. Now, we need to hear from you. And so we come and we ask that you would speak to us by your spirit. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the year was 1944. The date was a few weeks before the Allied invasion of Nazi-held Europe. The event was the assigning of English officer 2nd Lieutenant Clifton James to the very unusual task of impersonating the British General Bernard Montgomery. James had a very natural resemblance to the General, and so he spent quite a bit of time with him, learning to imitate how he walked, talked, smiled, ate, and even saluted. And he soon mastered that role. The new Monty, the imitator impersonator, was taken to Gibraltar, where he leaked information about a very special plan for the Allied forces to invade southern France. Nazi agents were there listening, and they relayed the information to Hitler. The new Monty played the role so well that he fooled both enemy intelligence but also some high-ranking English brass. And as a result, Hitler deployed his forces to the south of France, away from the English Channel, making it easier for the Allied forces to get a foothold on the continent during D-Day. The English officer who imitated Monty was given a special assignment we 
as the children of God, as the church, have been given a special assignment also. We are being sent out with our mandate and also with an amazing motivation. First, let's see the mandate. Pete spoke of the church and the power working in us as a mighty army in the plan of God. Then Mark spoke last week of our mission to go, really as you are going to make disciples, naming the name of Jesus. I continue today with the church and our motivation coming at it from a little bit different angle. We, the church, are called and given our mandate, our special assignment, to be imitators of God. A goal of our fathers redeeming us is that we would resemble more and more the Lord Jesus. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Paul has been dealing here in chapter 4 with taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Let's begin reading actually um, with chapter 4, verse 31. I invite you to stand if you're willing and able out of reverence for God's word. Paul is writing from prison and he calls the church in Ephesus, calls us to be imitators of God. Hear the word of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then as forgiven people, hear what God calls us to do. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Please be seated. From there, Paul goes on to call the beloved children not to live in sexual immorality or filthiness, not to have foolish talk and crude joking. He calls the beloved children of God to a life of thanksgiving. And then he says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then after speaking more about the darkness, Paul quotes Isaiah 60 saying, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And as Christ shines on us, we become reflectors out to others of Christ himself. And then he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The mandate we are given this morning as the church, be imitators of God. First, let's ask this. What would the early Ephesians, the believers there, what would they have heard when Paul calls them to be imitators of God? Well, the word Paul uses is the word from which we get our words mime or mimic or imitate, meaning to copy someone's actions. The early followers of Jesus in Ephesus were familiar with the Roman and the Greek mimes of the day who would act out events or imitate certain people, often wearing masks. 
The excavated city of Ephesus today has some very magnificent intact structures. The library, which held tens of thousands of documents, is still there. The theater was the first thing visible when new people would arrive into this port city. And it was used for the gladiator and animal fights, as well as for political and philosophical discussions. Also, plays and musical events would happen there, and it's still used today for concerts. It would be one place where they might see the mimes, the imitators. And the people in ancient Ephesus would mimic or imitate the famous orators and the philosophers of the day, people like Aristotle and Plato and Virgil and Homer. One historian even tells of Alexander the Great imitating Artemis, wearing a garment like hers in his chariot. And the Ephesians only knew her as this stone idol. In contrast to all that, Paul steps in and he says to the early church and to us, be imitators of God. First, Paul was not saying to impersonate God. There's a huge difference between being an imitator and an impersonator. Impersonation is when we try to fool someone into thinking that we are indeed another person, like the story with which I started. Being Christ-like is not wearing a robe or sandals or having a beard. It's not being a carpenter or walking everywhere. There are aspects of God that we can imitate and be like. And there are aspects we cannot. There are those traits that only God possesses. God is holy. We are not, although we do strive to live holy lives. God created all things out of nothing. We do not, although we can be creative. God is omnipresent. We are not, although parents with young children may feel like they need to be everywhere at the same time. God is omnipotent. We are not, although we sure would like to be, wouldn't we? That is why we struggle so much with control issues. What will it take for us to understand that we really don't control much of anything? One friend recently told me that farmers understand this issue better than most. Farmers cannot control the rain and the climate. They are utterly dependent, and in reality, so are we. Question for you. What are you really trying to control in your life? Our worries and concerns, they eat us up. They zap our energy. They affect our relationships. We sometimes are focused on the outcomes that we simply cannot control. If you're trying to control another person, I encourage you to give it up. If you're trying to control the outcome, give it up. Yes, be responsible, but leave the outcome to the Lord. We are a dependent people, and yet we can be imitators of God. Let's see more. What does it mean to be imitators? Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. The church, the people of God 
We are to put off certain things. Does anyone of those things that I just read resonate with you? Has anyone ever asked why you are so angry sometimes? Do you carry some bitterness toward another person? Often when we have been hurt, it comes out as a real anger. We can say less than gracious things about another person, really slandering that one. And we can even wish them malice, thinking perhaps only to ourselves, boy, I hope they get what they deserve. In stark contrast to the bitterness and the anger and the malice, Paul tells us how to respond. In fact, in our passage, Paul really puts meat on both sides of this mandate of how we are practically to live our lives. And in doing these things, we are being imitators of God. Prior to saying be imitators, Paul tells us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then he says, be imitators of God. After telling us to be imitators, more meat on the bone comes as we are told how to live. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It's only possible to do these very things as we know that we have been recipients of those things. We're called to forgive because we have been forgiven. And we're called to love because we have been loved. As we are forgiving and loving, we are imitators of God. How are you doing with those things? Have you ever been called kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, loving? Has it been a while for you? For you, which of those is the hardest? And why is that? What keeps you from forgiving and loving others? Let's talk about the motivation to be able to follow the mandate, to be able to forgive and love. Really, the motivation to be imitators is one thing. And the only real power that will last and enable you and me to be imitators of God is in the same verse as the mandate given to us. Be imitators of God as beloved children. It is only as we know who we are as the beloved children of God that we can truly be what Paul is calling us to be here. We must embrace who we are. Beloved children, loved and forgiven. What about you? Do you know that you are a beloved child? Some of you have longed your entire life to hear those words from someone. And some of you never remember a time that you did not hear those words. For some, such words were tied to your performance. You felt you had to earn the right to be loved. But joyfully, God is not that way. Just recently, a pastor friend 
told the story of a retreat he went on with a bunch of other young pastors in the deep south. He said the first morning before breakfast, he was wandering around and he went into the kitchen and he met a very old woman from a very small country in Africa. He called her Miss Fifi and they began to talk. And while they spoke, she continued just cooking for all of the other pastors. And he asked her, hey, how did you end up here in this state in the South? And her face lit up. And she said, God is so good to me. She told the young pastor about the war in her country. And her father was killed. She was able to come to the United States and had been here for a number of decades. The pastor was thinking to himself when she then said once again, God is so good to me. She told how she married a man. The man did not love God, and he divorced her because she could not have children. The pastor is feeling so badly for her when she says, but God gave me a new husband who deeply loves the Lord Jesus. And then she asked him, why is God so good to me? She and her new husband tried to have children, but they were not able to. They gave up hope. And then she told how unexpectedly at the age of 42, she became pregnant and had a baby. And then God, a couple years later, gave them another healthy child. And of course, she asked the pastor, why is God so good to me? The lady tells this church planter that she and her husband helped starting a new church in their community. And then when their building was falling down, they gave the church their home. And she told the pastor, back then I didn't like or trust white people. She told how she was introduced to a white man who helped her build a house for free. She asked again, why is God so good to me? She went on to say that just three weeks ago, her husband had died. He was working on an event to honor their pastor. And she said he was always serving the Lord. She stressed how she was wondering, how in the world am I going to pay for this funeral when someone stepped forward and paid the entire funeral? And then she said, why is God so good to me? Every time she said that, she was really saying, why does God love me so much? You know, the pastor here tells more, as he said, during the whole conversation, he was asking why God had failed to love her in this situation and in that situation. And the pastor said, Miss Fifi kept pointing me to how wonderfully the Lord had loved her. And their conversation closed with an unbelievable joy as she said, I say to the Lord, I don't know why you love this African woman so much. What an amazing 
work of God in the life of this lady, reflecting the Lord, really, not just to this one, but to the whole group of these young church planters. She was an imitator, a reflector of the Lord. She knew she was the Lord's beloved child, and she lived it out. Friends, let's be honest this morning. We know that we live in a broken world and that we are part of that brokenness. But do we bask in the fact that we are the beloved children of God? I think that as I grow older, that more and more I'm understanding this in ways that I never had before. We have as many stories as we have people here this morning. And for some of us, we never felt beloved by our parent or perhaps one of them. Um, Many did. Praise the Lord. Be thankful for that. Some of us did not even know our parents because of the choices they made or because of an early death or for whatever reason. And some of us, if we're honest, might even say, and I've heard this over the years, that it would have been better off, I would have been better off if I'd never known my parents. And because of these things, we perhaps have a harder time understanding that we have a Heavenly Father who truly does love us. The great majority of us, when we get in touch with our stories, would have to admit that we come from dysfunctional families. I come from a dysfunctional family. My kids come from a dysfunctional family. How could they not? I live in a broken world, and I'm part of that brokenness. But I am a beloved child of God. So are you. I feel that at this stage of my life, I'm just now figuring out so many things, how to husband and father and love and serve. You know, we must get serious about obeying and loving and forgiving and living out our special assignment with great joy. And we will only do that when we know, really know that we are the beloved children of God. Imagine a whole church knowing that and living it out and the impact we could have here amongst ourselves and in our community and in the world as beloved children. Scotty Smith prays one sentence that captivates me. He says, convince us again that we are much more beloved than broken. Amen. Oh Lord, allow us to rest in and to live out the beauty of knowing that we are indeed beloved children. 1 John says it this way, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, for that is what we are. One of the greatest impacts of that retreat for all those pastors came from the lady in the kitchen. She knew that she was the beloved child of God, and it came across to everyone who came in contact with her. She walked in the light, And walking is another theme in the passage we read today. We're to walk in love as Christ loved us. For at one time you were darkness, 
but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. What happened as Miss Fifi embraced being the beloved child and walking in the light as the beloved child, but that others were blessed and they praised God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see the good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We walk in the light. And we remember that Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. And as beloved children, we are image bearers. We are reflectors of that light to others. Our being imitators is never going to be perfect. It may be like one of those mirrors at the carnival or at the house of mirrors where our image is somewhat distorted, but you can still tell that it is you. That's how imitating is. It's not perfect, but it's a reflection of Jesus as his light shines upon us and then out to others. Ponder this. You and I may be the best reflection of Jesus that someone is going to see this week. Will there be any resemblance? At a funeral a few years ago, a lady said to me, God was so real to my father, he was the one who had died, that he became real to me. God only becomes more real to us if we know that he loves us and that we are truly his beloved. What about you? What would it be like? Do you know that you are beloved? Do you feel it? Does anyone else know that you are beloved? Does anyone else know that you are the beloved child of God? When I leave home um, each morning to come to work, Rita will often ask me what I have going on that day. Um, she may ask how I am doing, and I'm a pretty positive guy and pretty happy most of the time. Um, but sometimes Rita will say something like, okay, then hold your shoulders up and tell your face that you're happy. <laughs> um, we need those people in our lives, and we sometimes need to be those people for others, do we not? If we are the beloved, let's live like it. May it show on our faces and in our lives, in our relationships, in our realms of influence. If we are the beloved, some things need to change. We need to change. The Apostle Paul, in being that person for us today, in pointing us to the Lord Jesus, Paul calls the church to be imitators of God. We are being called to do the things for others which Jesus does for us, starting with loving and forgiving. He certainly does it in a full, complete, and a way in which we are saved. We do it as a way of imitating him and loving and forgiving others in our lives. You know, we don't try to um, 
give the impression that we are impersonators of Jesus, and we don't wear masks like the Ephesians. I'm tempted to make a joke about masks, but I'm not going to go there. Um, we can imitate Christ and still be ourselves. In all of our diversity, we can be ourselves, and we can still look like Jesus. May we bathe ourselves in the truths from his word and fight to embrace those very truths. First Peter 1 says it this way, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This week I was preparing, I was right there in preparing, and my phone pinged, and I looked at it, and I learned something of that gripping picture or a number of pictures that we saw in the news of the newborn baby being lifted over the fence and cuddled by the Marine in Afghanistan. We learned um, a little bit later that the Marine who reached down for the baby and pulled that baby up, who ransomed that baby out of the chaos was known to us, Cameron. His father is Kevin Rambo. Many of you know Kevin. What joy. And then within a 24-hour period, the news of the bomb and the death of so many. And Kevin knew that his son was at one of the gates. Um, he finally heard it was just about a day later, that his son was okay. But 13 others lost their life from our military. This powerful image is a small glimpse of the Father reaching down and pulling us out of our chaos and darkness. Let me urge all of us, to take our eyes off of ourselves. And if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Look on your beautiful, all-forgiving Savior, Jesus, and on his powerful cross. God the Father sent Jesus to live and to die for us while we were yet sinners, while we had offended him to the hilt. I said earlier that Paul put meat on what it meant to be imitators of Jesus, that being our forgiving and our loving and walking in love. But here, we have flesh put on what it means to be imitators of God. We have Jesus in the flesh. John 1 tells us that he, Jesus, took on flesh and he dwelled among us. Followers of Jesus are to be like Jesus, taking on his actions of love and his attitudes and his mind. In Philippians, Paul says, in humility, count others more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I read of a Muslim who came to know the love of Jesus in North Africa after being baptized as a follower of Christ. He had been the object of humility and hatred by his fellow villagers. And after watching all that he went through, one man went to him 
and taunting him said, what have you gotten out of it by becoming a Christian? And the new creature in Christ thought for a moment, and then he humbly replied, now I have the power to forgive you. Friends, in Christ, children, beloved children of God, we have the power to forgive and to love. Appropriate it. Don't let another day go by without forgiving just as you have been forgiven and without loving as you have been loved. You are never more like Jesus than when you forgive. Having been forgiven, you now imitate Jesus and forgive. If a Muslim background believer can forgive because he has become a beloved child of God, and if Paul, sitting in a Roman jail, can forgive, and he did because he had become the beloved child of God, if we experience this same belovedness, we are free to love as Jesus loved. In closing, imitating is good, but it's not good enough to get you into heaven. Our imitating Jesus does not save us any more than 2nd Lieutenant Clifton James actually became General Bernard Montgomery when he impersonated him. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus as we transfer our trust from ourselves to get us into heaven, to Christ, the one who died and offers us the free gift of eternal life. And then this meaningful life of becoming imitators of Christ begins, living in gratitude to him. Some try to walk in the steps of the master, imitating him who have not taken the first step of trusting him as Lord and Savior. Mahatma Gandhi said, I wish I could be Christ-like without being a Christian. That is impossible. To truly emulate and imitate the Lord Jesus in the outer life takes Christ and his power in the inner life. Be imitators of God. Be who you are, the beloved. Take off that mask, whether it's the mask of a tough guy or of not having deep feelings or whatever the mask may be. Friends, if you choose to accept it, you have been given a special assignment. Actually, even more strongly, you have been commanded by the one who has made you his beloved child. Be imitators of God. Jesus changes everything. Let us pray together. Father, we come today needing to know in the depth of our being that we are the beloved children of God. Drive it home in our lives. Let us know that we indeed are much more beloved than we are broken. Empower us by your spirit to be imitators of God, that the world might know you. Let us not be content to have you start with someone else. Start with each one of us. Grant us the grace 
to forgive as we have been forgiven. Grant us the grace to love as we have been loved. Give us the grace to set our gaze upon the Lord Jesus and to be fixed there. And Father, as a result of being together today, may each of us be more like the Lord Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.